Welcome to The Milk Check, a podcast from T.C. Jacoby & Company, where we share market insights and analysis with dairy farmers in mind. Hi, everybody, and welcome to The Milk Check. This month, we recorded our monthly mass balance and charting meeting. It is a monthly meeting that we hold internally, where our whole trading team gets together. We look at the milk production and cold storage reports, and we look at some of the technical charts And we share our opinions about what we think this data is telling us and what we think this data is predicting about what will happen in the future. We had some really interesting discussions this month. I think you'll really enjoy eavesdropping into these discussions. It was a long meeting. It was an hour long, but it was a really good meeting. So what we've decided to do this month is split it into two parts. The second part is what we call our charting meeting, led by Jacob Menji, our risk manager and trading strategy director, who talked about some of the technical charts and what they're telling us about our dairy markets and even other markets. It was a great discussion. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening in. I'm going to start just with one thing that for those of you that were on the call last Friday with Alan, that ITR economics presentation, we actually had talked about this exact graph, the the consumer loans, and how it's a pretty eye-popping number. He basically said it's nothing. It's, It's really irrelevant. It's more or less on trend. And I agree completely. That's what we had been saying for, for months now that, you know, this is showing up in a lot of newspapers. Ignore it. The one thing I do have to add that I've actually learned in the past couple months just talking around that there is something to pay attention to on the consumer loan side that is just not in this graph at all. And I had no idea about, frankly, it is buy now, pay later. Buy now, pay later was a $2 billion market in 2019. Anybody want to guess what it was last year? Any brave soul going to stick a number out? Five billion. Fifty. Thirty. Thirty billion, isn't it? Head's closest. Head's closest. It's like 25. Okay. So we went about 10x on the buy now, pay later market, and it's still going up. And here's the rub. Of all buy now, pay later users, about 10% have a credit card. The other 90% don't. And that tells you they probably have such poor credit, they can't even access the formal credit lending market with protections on it. And so this is the exact kind of thing that preceded 08, right? Where they basically had not enough checks and balances on a certain credit lending market, and eventually it got overworked, and you know the rest of the story. So that's the kind of thing to pay attention to. There are things in the background that are kind of sketchy. (laughs) There's a million apps that you can do buy now, pay later on literally anything now. So it's kind of interesting. Now it's 25 billion. You look at total revolving credit here, which is, you know, 900 to a trillion. We're not talking a huge percent, you know, just call it two to 3%. Okay. Not huge, but still it, it could be a domino that, you know, starts some ugliness because the valuation of these buy now, pay later companies is massive. The regulations around it are basically nothing. It does not show up on credit reports. So literally, you could have $2,000 a month in buy now, pay later, and go apply for a home loan or go apply for a credit card, and everyone pulling your credit report has no idea that you have these other bills outstanding. So that's the kind of thing that even though officially credit cards don't look risky right now, how much else is, is tied up here? This is not like the big one or anything to me, but it's just something that I thought was kind of uh, interesting and kind of indicative of the economy as a whole, that people are starting to really ramp up use of products like that. Okay, over the uh, the, the fun stuff here. Going to start with cheese. 
we talked about this. We haven't done one of these charting meetings in a while, but we talked about this fuck 93 level, which I think in class three was, what was it? Like 1980. We were right on that line. And that has been a, a sticky, sticky support or resistance line for a long time. And we cruised right through it. There's a little bit of hesitation, but we are firmly below that now. And there's just not a ton of support anywhere up until like a buck 80, I would say. So something to look at there, but this is a pretty notable change from the last time we had this meeting. Butter is funny. We're on a hundred week moving average and it's really liked staying above that hundred week moving average. So that's kind of bullish. The bearish thing to me, and this is the thing that we talked about last time, absolutely no volume here like none between this 230 and $2 level you really 210 call it you get one big player willing to throw some volume at this I just don't see any way it doesn't continue down to at least 210 but it's going to take that player in the meantime while we're just trading sideways this is probably bullish right in a kind of no pressure market I would lean towards the upside of because of the the moving averages there and we're oversold on relative strength and stuff like that hopping over to way Waves just cruised through this area of no volume. I mean, it just didn't even stop for a breath. And now we are at a point of a lot of volume. That 35, 36 level, it, it really kind of sticks out historically. I mean, we can scroll back, and the further we scroll back, we just get more and more volume trading around that 35 cent level. So I'm kind of thinking we're there on way, would be my two cents. Nonfat, not the same. Actually, we stopped for not even a day at 125, which I thought we would at least pause there because we paused there on the way up, but we didn't. I could see it maybe retesting this, but I also could see it continuing down to 110. That's the only technical indicator I could even point to right now because everything else is just blown out saying sell, sell, sell. But as far as some kind of a stopping point, yeah, 110 technically is it. Could it happen before then? I mean, who knows? Sure. But I'm grasping at straws. If I had to point to some technical, that's what I'm looking at. 110 or 125 as kind of your range. Anything on these charts? Head on over here to our other charts. What is kind of interesting is our spot versus our calculated class three. So this basically takes all of our components, our butter, our block, and our, our barrel cheese to calculate an implied class three price. And then it looks at the class three futures. This is a long-term chart. This goes all the way back to 2019 back here. That's actually 2018. We've been in this range though for a long time. I mean, for a solid two years now. I would be a little surprised if we break out of this range anytime soon. But what's notable in literally a one week period, we went from the upper end of the range to the very lower end of the range. So this thing's been kind of volatile lately. Only reason I'm bringing this up is something probably has to change on either the, the auction or the futures where we've, we've either got to come off a little bit on these futures or the auction has to firm up, um, which could be in the form of, you know, barrels catching a bid, which we saw today and blocks just stopping. But that was kind of notable. Buck reverse barrel spread also pull up just for some perspective hanging out at the upper end this was a heck of a head fake when we saw it pull back to the middle of that range i and i think a lot of others probably would have bet okay we're probably gonna go back to more middle range area around you know 15 cents nope right back up to 34 cents area and hanging out there so keeping an eye on that 
going to talk about our non-fat carries. I think it's amazing how volatile it was. We're officially, I would say, in a carry. Again, not great, but holy smokes, what a dip there. I mean, that was just an insane two-month period. Really three from June to the end of August. That was an impressive dip. I don't know the last time we ever got there. I would have to go back way more on the chart. So it would have been 2014. This was a violent, violent move on a carry. So worth paying attention to that. Finally, just for you, Josh, here we got our way non-fat ratio that we've been paying attention to. Nothing to note hanging right around that same level, implying probably still want to use non-fat. I would expect before this is all over, just guessing at this point that if non-fat were to really collapse again i just don't see way continuing to move lower that would actually pull it quickly back into the range that is what i would expect to quickly come back into the range so worth paying attention to that really not much to say on ags corn and soybeans both looking the exact same at those kind of lofty levels we're in the mid sixes on corn really upper sixes on corn Beans were in the, uh, I think, 15, yeah, 1525. Not much to say. Nothing weird going on with the correlations. The correlations on this broke down, as I said, you know, maybe three, four months ago. So not much to say there. So while dairy's bearish, the grains are showing stability. Can you pull up that class three corn oil screen again? Corn's been outperforming oil and class three for a little bit now, really since like July. Oil and class three have been moving together though nicely. Isn't that amazing how close that is? Yes, but as the numbers show on a long enough timeline, there is just not correlation. They correlate in short periods, but it's not like there's any correlation you can depend on in the long term. Anything else on ags? Otherwise, I really didn't have anything too much. I guess I will show copper in the dollar index. Copper is a classic economic indicator. I mean, that's like the go-to that a lot of people always look at. I've never looked too close at it, but it back in June was kind of in panic mode. It retested this support level a number of times as resistance level. And then just last month, really a couple weeks ago, had a really big move higher and it actually went above its hundred week moving average. So somebody's buying a lot of copper, which I don't know what's going on there. Not a metals guy. But it piqued my attention because that's economically pretty good, um, a, a good sign, actually. And then, yeah, the dollar index is the one last thing I'll show here. It seems like we finally found a bottom on this move lower. I thought maybe 104 was kind of our bottom. It kept going even lower. But there's a lot of things like volume coming into the dollar, stuff like that, that is making me now think this is the bottom. But I was wrong a few months ago. Could be wrong now. So we'll keep an eye on it, but I think that the worst of this fall is probably over. What else? Any requests? Lumber, please. Classic. It's a disaster, I think. Oh, it popped. Had a move higher. I have no idea what caused that. Now, now I need to go look. That would be correlated with copper, right? I mean, if you think of expected building starts, maybe? I, I don't know. But Curious. I thought starts were poor. Yeah, housing starts have been down. I know, but expectations of three to six months out, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Hey, I'm with you. What else? Any others? Mexican peso. Yeah, that's right here. That's been pretty impressive that the peso yeah. has been strong relative to the dollar over the last year. When was it the last time we were, it was this strong? 
Jake? Just before the pandemic. Okay. Do we have any good measurement regarding China, whether it's economic activity or even just the renminbi? Yeah, we can do the currency. I can put it up, but I will really caution against reading into it. It is such a managed currency relationship mm-hmm. is the way I'd put it. If they're trying to manage it, they're sure not doing much of a job. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Sometimes they want it up. Sometimes they actually do want it down. I mean, as weird as that is, they have an agenda and they tend to be pretty effective at implementing it. I wonder if it would make more sense to measure the New Zealand dollar or the Australian dollar versus the U.S. dollar, since that would be an indication. Yeah, it's um. here. Let me pull this up. So these are called are called like risk on pairs. That's typically what people look at when they're looking to add risk to their portfolio. And they've been flat. There's really the market is not particularly keen on risk, but they're not shedding it either. Okay. I think that we're kind of done with the main discussion, but is anybody else starting to get the vibe that that whole bearish train's really slowing down and about to start shifting the other way? Here, here's what I'll cue in on. From the demand side, people aren't talking about it getting worse. Now Jake's showing some indicators, like some just general consumer spending type indicators that aren't as gloomy. You know, just a simple thing like way. You know, if way does bottom out, I've said it, now Jake said it from a totally different standpoint. Maybe it trades through that. That's an early sign talking about China starting to get stimulated, you know, it really feels like this thing could turn a lot. Well, I think violent, we're all agreeing that that when it turns, it could violently turn. I'm wondering if it's going to turn a little faster than we even think. I still think you need what is typically in the equity space referred to as a max pain event, where you just cause a lot of pain. I think us having a violent move is actually predicated on a max pain moment where you have people literally saying, I can't get any money for my class three. I can't get any money for a class four. It's just everything looks bleak. And then you turn and rock it higher. I don't think we felt that yet. That's my two cents. Is the a scenario where cheese gets shocked and just plummets? Because to me, that's what, I mean, if cheese were to plummet, that stimulates the biggest demand user. I do think people will buy more cheese domestically. That same thing would happen in Europe. Is there any possibility that that happens? In your guys' mind, like a 50 cent cheese drop, it just boom. Well, just frankly, boom. if blocks drop to where barrels are right now in the 150s, you're in a max pain place. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think if we missed out on some export deals because Europe's been more aggressive the last few months and domestically we start making, actually, we finally start filling up warehouses, then yes, I think it could happen. If you get cheese and adjusted for inflation, let's go back to pre-inflation days, you get cheese that drops into the lo- the lower, somewhere like the 125 mark globally. Now, maybe you adjust that to 150 today. I, I'm not smart enough to do this you know, on the fly. Then I'll, all of a sudden, I think you stimulate a lot of demand growth. You put Europe and U.S. consumption back in recovery mode. You slow milk production even further quicker. All of it lines up to a quick recovery. The one thing I'll say, and this is kind of similar to what I was pushing Gus on, that Max Payne event, you can't just hear dairy farmers talking about how bad it is. You actually have to see some go out of business. That has to happen first. Does it, though, if we drop low enough that we stimulate a bunch of consumption again at the same time that Europe reacts before us? I mean, could we just continue our milk production growth on this 1% and just skip right through it because the equity was there? That's kind of where my head's going is, can you have a situation right now where it happens so fast, you get a drop, Europe adjusts, 
New Zealand adjust, demand recovers, and we just skim right through it from milk production standpoint. If you argue that the Max Payne event was what China just went through, perhaps. Each conversation over the past month, I've become a little bit, a little bit more bullish what's coming. Is it that possible that we don't have a production response here? It's purely demand recovery globally. So, Josh, I guess I have one question for you. Is the drop from 135 to 120 on nonfat, is that this really painful drop? No, I don't think so. I think we got to go to a dollar, which I think adjusted for inflation is more like 85 cents. And then I think that at a dollar and we stay there for a minute, I think we stimulate demand in Asia. I do. I am not making the argument that we can't just basically be done dropping and go higher from here. I'm just saying for a really violent move higher, I think you also need a a move lower where people are, are kind of panicky. And that we have not had. Where I think you and I are in agreement, Josh, is I think we're at a place in both class three and class four where we're loading a slingshot. The lower we go now from this point on, the higher we're going to go later in the year. We are loading a slingshot right now. That I agree with. I don't want to get into the theory of it. Max Payne is actually a theory related to options, okay? And it goes, once you basically go beyond the protection level and you can look at options open interest, that's when you achieve max pain. And so for non-fat, you can see puts are basically owned at 120 and 122 a little bit. Almost nothing is owned for the rest of the year below 120, though. If you get down to 110, literally not a single person owns a put out. Okay, a single person owns a put in May and June. I shouldn't say not a single. There are two puts, two puts that are owned at 110. You go below there, people are going to panic. Truly, that will be panic. Not No one is covered. Class three, lots of puts are owned at $17, a ton. I mean, 500 a month plus at 17 bucks. If we were to really quickly charge to like 16, people panic. So you, you kind of have numbers in the back of your mind. I would say we're pretty much there on non-fed. You get to 115, no one's got coverage out there. So... Those are the numbers that I I would look at for when the panic sets in. All right. Any more thoughts, questions? Cool. Great conversation, guys. We welcome your participation in the Milk Check. If you have comments to share or questions you want answered, send an email to podcast at jacoby.com. Our theme music is composed and performed by Phil Keggy. The Milk Check is a production of T.C. Jacoby & Company.